Hello and welcome to this Sustainable Wine podcast. This is a recording of a conference session that took place on the 2nd or 3rd of June 2021 as part of Sustainable Wine's Future of Wine Americas Conference 2021. We'd very much like to thank the sponsors of that conference, BSI, Bodega Argento, Jackson Family Wines, International Wineries for Climate Action and Avenea. Thank you to all of those groups for their important support and I hope you enjoy the session. Welcome to our penultimate session, everyone. Um, we have had a series of very difficult questions for our speakers to try and answer uh, over the last two days, and this one is no exception. Um, now we tried to get some big retailers involved in this session, and uh, a lot of them said they were very interested in it, but uh, didn't feel comfortable talking about it. Um, we had a friend of mine who's the head of environment for Tesco at our conference six months ago, and she pointed out that you know wine is on their list but at the moment it's further down than palm oil, beef, soy, and some of the other things they're dealing with, but um, they are planning on making some serious initiatives on, on wine sustainability as a retailer, and many others are too. And uh, we're delighted that Waitrose has joined uh, as a founding member of the Sustainable Wine Roundtable, which we've set up, and um, they're a, a significant retailer in, in the UK, and we also have System Balage and Alco as members who are alcohol monopolies in Sweden and Finland. So... There's a lot of interest uh, in uh, the more progressive retailers, I would say, at the moment, in working out what sustainability looks like. System Bellagio announced, I think they, they're going to do their own kind of label with criteria um, for, for wine. And I think the maximum bottle weight is about 420 grams. Um, so th there's movements happening there. And uh, we plan on trying to, uh, to help shape those and, and involve uh, the industry in a collaborative effort to help retailers understand how they can turn sustainability into an opportunity. Um, uh, and I know when Waitrose has done research in the UK, they found that, uh, you know, wine as a, as a consumer issue, that when they research it, nappies come first and wine is quite a long way down the list because it's kind of regarded as a, a luxury um, product and, and uh, consumers don't think about it in the same way, perhaps in the UK, that they think about some of the other products um, that the supermarkets sell. So really looking forward to your insights on this. I'm sure many supermarket folks will watch this, if not now, then later, or listen to it. So really interested to, to hear your insights. Let's do a round-the-room introduction, so a kind of minute each on who you are. I'll start on my, my top left here. So Pam, um, tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, well, my name is Pam Strayer. I'm a writer. I specialize in organic and biodynamically grown wines. And then when I joined Slow Wine Guide as a senior editor, um, I had an opportunity to widen my purview to look more at wines that are not in that uh, category. Um, and I also have been a health and science writer and journalist and run a number of large health websites. So I really came to wine um, from the perspective of being concerned about agrochemicals and the immense amount of data in California that we have about every producer and the chemicals that they use. So I saw a lot of dissonance between the messaging and the, uh, the actual performance and outcomes. So I'm, I'm very interested in help. I'm very supportive of the sustainability movement and like to see it achieve some more measurable objectives that consumers can really hang their hats on. Great, thanks very much. Edward? Yes, um, Edward Field. Ed Field Natural Merchants is our company. Um, it's a nationwide import company based in the U.S., um, exclusively dedicated to organic wines. Um, started in 2004, founded with my wife, Pilar, and I. Um, prior to that, I had retail experience, which, which 
be fun for the conversation here. Uh, came from a medium-sized uh, retail chain. Um, so a unique perspective and actually marketing products that uh, I myself would have liked to have purchased at that point. Um, back in 2004, when we got started, um, organic wines were just beginning and, and obviously it has grown to an incredible category today. And uh, we're just lucky to be on that uh, train, that, that organic wine train and seeing the tremendous growth in the industry today. Thanks very much. Yes, we have seen some very significant growth, particularly in the last year or two. So we'll be talking about that, I'm sure. Rob, uh, tell us about yourself and, and your work. Hey everybody, Rob McMillan. I'm EVP and founder of Silicon Valley Bank's wine division. I think uh, most people probably know me as the author of Silicon Valley Bank's annual State of the Wine Industry report. Uh, I blog and I speak uh, quite a bit about the industry, uh, both domestically and interna internationally. Uh, sustainability is uh, a mixed up word for the consumer. And, uh, and yet when you look at the investment side of things, ESG is a, uh, a driving force in growth. So it's, it's a place that we have to get um, in order to be sustainable <laughs> and, and last as, as profitable companies. Thank you, Beth. I'm Beth McManic. I am program director for SIP Certified, which is a sustainable certification program for wine growers. We have the majority of our members in California, but we also have some in Michigan. And SIP Certified is a program of a nonprofit called Vineyard Team. So our foundation is really an education on sustainable farming. We've been around since 1994, doing education from in the field to podcasts to conferences. So I think for me, you know, looking at this question of how do we turn sustainability into an opportunity, education really is the foundation of that. I love bringing up the ESG because they are really popular. I, I think in some ways it might just be helping consumers connect the dots between things that they already care about and how it's relatable in wine as well. Thanks. I'm sure we'll come back to that. Well, Edward, let me turn to you first as someone who's worked for a, a, a medium-sized retailer. What's been your experience, and, and, and particularly now, you know, we heard earlier from, um, from Ridge Vineyards yesterday how you know, they've seen um, the wildfire issue and then all the other social issues that have hit, plus COVID, has really accelerated Ridge's approach, which began you know, 10 years ago with transparency. And, um, and I really get the sense there's real momentum behind sustainability in, in the industry. How can retailers use that as some sort of opportunity? Is it, is it just about organic or do we need to, to explain some of the wider issues? Well, we're big proponents of organic. Um, means a lot to us. Um, we believe in the in in creating a believable bar. You know, today's consumer um, carries around what basically is a is is a lie detector. You know, any they you know don't don't want to be marketed to. They don't want to see words like clean. They don't want to see words that don't have definitions. They want to be able to Google it quickly and find out something that uh, they're able to to discover quickly and 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 have it provable. Uh, in their own minds. Um, as a ex-retailer, um, what we did find is, uh, well, my experience, sometimes many times people come into organics uh, uh, based on, you know, how they were brought up or uh, there was a life-changing situation, uh, whether health concern or uh, some sort of influence in their life or investigative research. My interest in organics and, and first dabbling in organics was truly a business, pr truly a business situation. Um, it actually ended up being the best business decision ever made because uh, somebody that wakes up every morning is a purveyor of, 
you know, better for you, better for the planet type products. But it truly was a business decision at the beginning. Um, we, uh, we were forced into a defensive position. We had a major, major retailer coming into our area, talking about uh, Pacific Northwest. Um, and uh, we, it, was a light, it was a career changing experience. We, we decided to, to market organic products throughout the stores. And it wasn't just in some small corner where 3% of the people visited. It was actually throughout the store. It was organic peanut butter next to the peanut butter or organic tomato sauce next to the tomato sauce. And, and a light went on uh, for me totally um, to see how people reacted. Uh, these organic products were going into every basket, every single basket. It wasn't a, a liberal, a conservative thing. It wasn't an old or young thing. It was, uh, it was a healthy thing. You know, it, was, it wasn't a hippie thing. It was a healthy thing. And so that, that light went on for me. I saw it happen. We actually were able, in a, in a, in a competitive situation, to be able to get back in black, get back in, in, in to, to, away from red numbers with this competition. And most importantly for us, I saw customers thanking us for paying attention to their health actually thinking this. I mean, the retailer is usually the guy that gets yelled at. He can't go out to the restaurant without someone screaming at him about the price of tomatoes or something. Um, so it was something that, uh, you know, seeing it actually helped us to, to become uh, that store. I mean, in retail, it's the, the ultimate thing that you're looking for is to be uh, known as that's my store. That's my store. And when you're doing something about paying attention to somebody's health and their concerns and their, their interests, uh, it's actually an opportunity to actually win that type of a battle uh, to be known as my store. Uh, so I, that, that was my learning experience from there. Um, I think that retailers have, should have organic options and, and, and sustainable options. Uh, it's, it's no longer something that uh, is just it used to be just an option or an idea or a curiosity. Now it's a fundamental necessity. The Organic Trade Association shows that 82% of households are purchasing organics. Um, it's, it's, it's gone far beyond the niche. Um, it's really a normal purchasing habit. It's actually, uh, it's more likely the household's buying organic than, than not buying products. So, uh, you know, we, uh, my experience has been that it, it is sustainable, you know, moving on to organic, biodynamic, uh, you know, vegan, all these, these, these words uh, need to be, need to see a presence in the, in the, in, in the retailers today. Thank you. Pam, what are your views? Um, I think retail is a really difficult nut to crack. <laughs> and God knows these sustainability programs have tried hard to woo the industry uh, to the woo trade. Um, and I think there are a lot, I, I, I am very, first of all, let me just say, I'm very supportive of the sustainability movement in terms of the education it's doing and the grower to grower support that it's doing. Um, and I think that's really where the movement's roots are. Um, you know, in the beginning, a lot of organic farmers went to help the rest of the wine community in when sustainability was forming, use less fertilizer, use less water, improve their practices. And I think that's the type of education that, for instance, SIP certified is really focused on and going forward with these days. A lot of other sustainability programs is very confusing, as you well know, because some are really standards based and some are really more inclusive and want to get everyone in and under the tent. So trade and consumers have been a little bit mystified as to like, what does the term mean? And I think it's too general. We don't even have good support in the retail community for organic, for how to sell organic. Uh, we need a tremendous amount of uh, education for both the trade and for retail clerks. <clears throat> I and mean, you go into a store and you say, I want an organic one. And they go, oh, well, we have this one that's sustainable. 
or you go in and they and they think that um, sustainable is organic or vice versa. There's just so much confusion, and the you know the industry has done quite a few studies talking about this. So, I think um, you know the whole green wine field. There's really no support for training the frontline people in retail, and that needs to change. You know, the the greatest thing would be if there was an online course for everyone, and a network, an organization um, for training and um, helping retail clerks. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really important point. Is that those on the front lines are often a bit neglected in terms of their own capacity and, and knowledge. Rob, uh, what are your views on the subject? Oh, I don't have any. <laughs> well, thanks for coming. Okay. <laughs> Next. Um, so, obviously, uh, you know, a very complex topic. Um, but I, I start with consumer demand on everything, and uh, you know, what? Why do people buy? Um, yeah, you got to have the money. That's part of it. But, you know, the reasons people buy are, are kind of varied. It's, it's evolved from my generation when, when we were coming up, the boom generation. Um, you know, the values that my generation held were, were, are very different than the, than the upcoming generation. And we haven't done a great job marketing to them, nor have we looked at their values. Um, and, you know, we have kind of, kind of an alignment of uh, better caretakers of the environment and health. And uh, sustainability ends up being a, a catch catch all for so many different things. Um, it, it's not it's not well defined. Uh, there's everybody has their own definition for it. You can go on and online and find <laughs> pretty much anything anything you want. There are organizations that that try to define it, but um, you know the use of language is actually another consumer driven thing. People end up with an idea about what something means. And sustainability, uh, you know, does pull in both the environmental and health aspect. When you look at when you look at the consumer today, um, and you look at what the wine industry does to inform slash market, uh, there's a huge miss. Um, you know, we we just don't. It, it, let's let's back up one step. So, if you want to go th through the World Health Organization, you want to look at what their objectives are right now. Um, you know, they are to reduce the consumption of alcohol. That's not quite what they say. They say what they want to reduce the harmful use of alcohol, but it's, it's far more broad than that. They're not targeted in the way they approach it. Um, and so they're, they're leveraging health, anti-health messages. So now you have to start with a consumer that's, that is dealing with anti-health messages. If you ask consumers, today, you know, is drinking healthy for you? The answer you're going to get is mm, probably not. So if we have to start with the consumer that is, okay, well, um, I choose to drink. Okay. Then what do you choose to drink? And so where, where I start is better for you. And, and, and better for you is where we have to be headed with the wine industry. And it's not greenwashing. Um, it, it, it's really a problem that we have with that. We're not talking, hey, guess what? Wine is plant-based. Plant-based is, is a big deal. If you look at the spirits companies, they're, they're marketing plant-based. Um, and you know, I'm not saying that we have to go off, and, like I said, greenwash, but the consumer is, is looking for things that are healthy, that are better for you. There's plenty of science out there that talks about um, health attributes of, of wine uh, that are, you know are are better than other products. So 
you know, the, the short story is we have a, a, a long way to go to um, inform that consumer of, uh, of, of what wine it really is, how it benefits a culture, how it benefits families and uh, brings people together, um, you, know, you know, the medical components of it uh, as an example. And, you know, how we do that's, you know, still, you know, to be defined because we're not doing it. Um, but, uh, you know, inevitably that's, that is where we have to get uh, on the sustainability uh, line to me. Thanks, Rob. Very interesting. Of course, um, regulations vary on what you're allowed to say about alcohol and health in any kind of marketing. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. And, and I, I don't know what the rules are in Europe, uh, but obviously in the United States, as a, as a permit holder, you cannot talk about it. Um, and in Europe, I do know you, there's you know, limits on advertising. Um, in the U.S., that's not quite true. There's pushes for that in, in various places. Um, but the, who can, you know, there are organizations that, are, that can be supported uh, by the wine industry, if, if we wanted to have a national marketing organization, for example, uh, that can talk about the, uh, the science that's behind moderate consumption. Uh, but that, you know, right now we're missing on that. Of course, there's also the link with kind of regional tourism and the story of land and people and culture and so on that wine has that connection too, which is a key part as well. Yeah. But hard to put that on a supermarket shelf, but, um, but great points. Beth, um, love to hear your views. Yeah, sure. So I, there's a lot of research coming out, especially from Nielsen talking about the increase in desirability of sustainability. I think both Edward and Rob brought up the healthier concept. So there's a consumer sentiment that's shifting towards a healthy for me, healthy for the world. So sustainability, organics, you know, healthy products are things that people are shopping for. And coming from a certification standpoint, our job is to help communicate that to them. And it is difficult to do that at the store shelf. There was a research project done a little while ago where they found 76% of the public believes independent third-party certification is the best way to verify a product's social or environmental claims. So even though on a wine label, you have this very limited you know, retail space to provide information, that's where a logo can provide that. So for some consumers, they are just looking for you know, a sustainable logo or an organic logo, you know, some sort of a mark, but then we can provide them with as much information as they want. Transparency is hugely important. So anyone who sees that SIP certified logo on the label, they can come back to our website and they can see what all of those rules are. And people are going to have varying, I think, interest in how deep they want to go down that rabbit hole. So as part of the educational component, we can provide them with different tiers so that they can go down to the depth that's important to them. And for some people, it might be a certification logo. For some people, they might want sort of, you know, the rough overview of, you know, like, what is sustainability? Are we talking about only the environmental side? Oh, we're also talking about people like that's interesting. A lot of people don't know that. And then they can go all the way into like, what are the exact, you know, standards that every single person is following in order to achieve this certification level? So I see it as a huge opportunity. I understand that there's an educational gap, but I think instead of being intimidated by that, you know, we can figure out ways to use that as a tool. And it makes selling the product, you know, more fun and more interesting because you actually get to teach somebody about something new that they maybe didn't know about before in terms of purchasing wines. Beth, have you seen anyone using QR codes, for example, on 
bottles to sort of show the the journey and, and take you live or not live but take you to a vineyard using the phone i see this happening in other consumer products i mean dole foods does it with bananas uh, and they've had millions and millions of consumers looking at uh, colombian organic banana farms on their phones so it strikes me if a banana company can do it surely there's an opportunity there for wine Surely wine can too. I can't think of a specific example, but I'm, I feel like I've seen it. And I thought, oh, wasn't it Sonoma that was doing sort of an interesting, right? Okay, I'm not, I'm not off base. Cam is nodding her head. Thank you. <laughs> that did a QR code kind of virtual tour thing. It's great. It's, it's funny that the QR felt like it was dead a few years ago. And since COVID came around, it's come back, you know, massively. You see it at every restaurant that you go to. And what a great, easy way to, to show people your story. And a lot of vineyards have great, you know, video and information, it would be an easy way to share that, whether it's on the label or if they had any other material in a retail outlet. It's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, from what I understand, QR codes were really clunky and difficult when they started and they got a bad reputation. But now, I mean, I, I went on the Dole Foods thing. All I did was get the camera out on my phone and boom, you know, I was mm -hmm. straight in there. Pam, you're, you're nodding. What would you like to add to this? Well, I was going to say it worked for 19 Crimes, didn't it? <laughs> um it's very successful brand. I mean, there's a lot of storytelling. I, I think what I would want to encourage people to do is be more transparent on their websites. You know, to Ed's point that people are Googling everything they want to know, you know. Um, and I think the frustration with sustainability is that it doesn't tell us enough. You know, it always be better, more, more interesting if there was a carbon uh, certification, if there was a worker safety and health and support, uh, there is one called EFI that ROC is using now. Um, if there were more granular ways to say, this is what I expect from your brand. And I don't see people really doing that kind of modular approach. I think um, there's a real risk. I, I think sustainability is great from the point of education. And in California, we're not having as many farm advisors as we used to. And we need more support um, for better practice, for best practices all the time. And so the groups have played a really important role that way. But I think when it comes to making a brand out of sustainability, it's a sort of a uh, a much riskier path because um, it's, you know, other industries in sustainable efforts have come about as a result of being attacked. Wine has been very lucky so far. And it wasn't so lucky a few years ago when glyphosate residues were all the rage and everyone was talking about Roundup in your wine. And that did lead to a lot of people not using Roundup, but now they use glufosinate, which is just as bad. Or they're afraid their vineyard workers are going to sue them for having them have to use Roundup. So we're seeing some shifts and some feedback in the market that I think the um, sustainability industry or branding industry really needs to pay close attention to because it isn't a trusted brand because people don't really know what it means. And people are trying so hard to make it um, beneficial for the consumer. But I don't think, I think there's a gap between communicating what is actually being done versus what consumer expectations are of a green product but that transparency can really become part of what you're doing um, if you take it seriously. And I think what people don't want is greenwashing. They don't want to feel like, I mean, even in the organic area, I write, I've written about every single organically grown wine in the United States. Um, people are very dismayed when they discover that a brand is a hybrid brand. 
and that only their estate grapes are organic and the rest of the wines they make are not organically sourced. They feel very betrayed. You know, I have to sort of talk them down and go, hey, it's okay. <laughs> you know, having an organic estate is, is the best they can do. Owning land is expensive. Um, whereas though in other regions, you know, in Languedoc, it's growing 24% a year, the organic growers, and they get double the price for their Chardonnay grapes. So there's a lot of dysfunction in the marketplace, but I think consumers really are looking for a standard they can hold on to that, that is consistent. So, um, Edward, um, would it take a retailer to simply say, we are only stocking certified wines? And, and if so, what would the best path be for them, would it be just to say organic only, or is that problematic? Well, we do have an example in the United States, uh, a, reger, a retailer by the name of Natural Grocers. Um, they've really stepped up uh, throughout their stores and their produce departments and their meat departments. It's all 100% certified organic. And uh, when they made the decision to add wine to their stores, they're doing this state by state by state. Um, it's all organic and it's, it's amazing because many people thought that there was not that availability out there and they've proven otherwise. Um, so they are, they are marketing themselves uh, very well. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're bringing, you know, truth to their claims. They, they are holding the, the bar and, and any claim that's being made on the label is, has to be verified by a third party. Uh, it is made for, in our particular situation, of an incredible partnership because that's how, you know, we, we market ourselves as, um, is, is all claims are, are backed by a third party. So, um, I think that there's, there's opportunities, there's opportunities, whether it's uh, if you're a, a local retailer or in, in this, in, in your block or in your city or in your region, um, there's, there's, there's many, many opportunities to be a voice, a, a voice or be the local expert when it comes to organic or natural or sustainable wines. Um, I mean, you think about some situations that were, long ago were considered uh, now it's something like we come a long way to, uh, to be something that, that we took for granted. Like for example, uh, cage free chickens. It took somebody like McDonald's to just uh, change everything. That was a decision they made at a, at a corporate level that now you know, cage free chickens have become the, the norm um, or, or vegan burgers. At what point did it become when Burger King stepped up and started serving them to everyone? Or, or, or styrofoam versus paper. Again, it was a company like McDonald's that made an important choice that, uh, that happened and the whole industry had to, had to follow from there. So there's opportunities to stand out at a, at a, at a local level or national level uh, because it's, it's really interesting to see in the grocery stores and throughout the United States that sustainability, organic, or, or, or these other claims are made all the way through the store. But when you get to the wine aisle, you see a, just a pittance. You see very, very few uh, examples out there um, and it just seems like there's a, there's an opportunity that for, for a, for retailers to make a statement, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's many tests that are coming out that are showing that organic wine actually tastes better. You've got some of the most major critics saying that, Hey, it's, it starts with better fruit. There's no doubt about that. When you put that in the hands of a great winemaker, you have an opportunity for something special. You've got entire countries like New Zealand and Chile and even Bordeaux is now wanting to be known as a, as a green source, eco-conscious um, so it's just a matter of time before more, uh, you know, regions get that mentality. Um, I think to answer your question, uh, it has to be based on quality first, quality first, especially when it's coming to wine. Uh, people will not sacrifice quality, especially in a, in, a, in a leisure beverage for a cause. 
Um, you know, and so when you've got wines, and, and this is our mantra, if you've got wines that are, hey, a great price, you know, great p- packaging, you know, all the marketing things that you're used to getting, if you, can, if you can do that, but also you can pay attention to maybe she's a vegan or, or, or he's worried about sulfites or, or genetically modified organisms matter. Um, you know, when you're paying attention to those things, uh, at the same time you're doing the regular marketing that, that wine buyers are accustomed to seeing, retail wine buyers are accustomed to seeing, you have the opportunity to, to speak to these people, to actually create a cult wine. I mean, it's just really interesting. And so why... You know, retailers would not want to be that voice, you know, an opportunity to make a statement in their own local market, similar to some of these other companies have made statements. I think it's going to be something we look back on at the time and wonder why it wasn't, you know, the same, you know, uh, the same amount of availability and offering in the wine sector as there is in the rest of the stores. I would just jump on to what you've been saying about natural grocers also, because they have the best signage. You can go into their stores and it gives you the information. They have handout pamphlets. I have never gone into a wine retailer in the United States who has anywhere near the depth of information that's customer facing. And it isn't just a brochure. It's actually the uh, retail signage in that space. And I also want to just throw in here about slow wine guide. Um, I think one of the things that's very interesting about it, first of all, it started from the fast food movement and slow food movement, and it's trying to uh, um, accomplish some of this transparency mission. We have a bunch of bullet points for each uh, producer in the book that talk about what kind of fertilizer is used, what kind of plant protection, what kind of weed control, what kind of yeast are the grapes sourced 100% from the uh, producer or what kind of certification do they have. And that kind of information is what consumers are really looking for. I'm working on a project with a major uh, wine app and, you know, based on customer um, features that they want to see, they want to see more information like that. I wish I could tell you what they do want to see, but they will be making an announcement at some point. But I think the more information you can provide, the better off consumers will feel, they'll feel more confident about the choices they're making. Thanks. And there's a question here from Nicoletto about low alcohol wines. Uh, Rob, do you have any views on this? It's in the UK. It was a bit of a trend a few years ago for supermarkets to set targets to, um, of more low alcohol wines that they would sell. Um, has this been a trend that you've noticed? Is it continuing? Oh, you're on mute, Rob. Sorry, I dropped off for a while and came back. My stupid internet. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom problems. Um, so it, it, I think it's it's small and, and it's and it's growing. Um, it I th- personally believe it it gets back to health and uh, and moderation. It's that that whole uh, thing. And and when you look right now at what's growing, um, it's it's kind of interesting because sparkling wine, as an example, is growing. Celebration, perhaps, but you know it was growing before uh, COVID. And uh, and sparkling wine has lower alcohol. It has more servings per bottle because you got a smaller glass. Um, so you know that's that's an interesting thing. When you when you look at um, some of the larger wineries right now, they're they're putting out um, they're trying to produce lower alcohol wines. It's still a little bit of a problem because you know you don't want to over manipulate it um, and, and just take away all the character. 
Um, it, so, I mean, in California, that's a problem because you have, you have, you know, heavier sugars, um, you know, to get to f- uh, full maturity. A um, little different in, in Europe, I think, but, um, you know, it's, it's still, it's still an issue because you got to, you got to kind of tone it down or pick early, um, you know, to get to that, that low alk. Um, but it is, it is clearly a thing and um, it's related to calories. You know, the, there's, there's a belief out there that, um, that Tito's and, and soda, Tito's vodka and soda is the most popular bar drink in America. And, and, you know, why is that? Well, it's because no carbs, uh, because somebody said, and it's stuck, that it's the lowest uh, amount of calories of any bar drink that you're going to have, which, you know, begat spike seltzers, by the way. And when you look at spike seltzers, I mean, how good for you is spike seltzer, honestly? <laughs> it's like, uh, oh, yeah, there's no chemicals. Um, oh, and you know, on the back of it, I think uh, truly there is, uh, what's it called? Uh, naturally fermented sugar uh, cane naturally fermented cane you mean granulated sugar (laughs) it's uh you know that's that's some of the greenwashing that goes on but you know that stuff that that stuff is obviously sticking um and how much how many calories are in a in a white claw it's 100 or so you know depends on what you're drinking um and again we're we're just not not really addressing that we're not telling people what's what's in the bottle and if we could get toward low alcohol um we're going to have lower calories and and i think that does that does help thanks uh, beth what are your views on this i think yeah the whole topic's really interesting i think i do always go back to the educational component you know, there is a lot of confusion in the marketplace, even with organics. You know, I talk to people and a lot of people assume that means no pesticides at all. There still are pesticides used in organic production. There can be just not synthetic or even the example of a cage free chicken. My understanding of that is that that doesn't mean free range. That means they're not in an individual cage. So even that within its own right is not necessarily what, you know, the consumer is envisioning of their chicken frolicking, you know, in a field. So I think that's where transparency is so important because if we're worried that consumers, um, you know, are going to be feel tricked that that organizations are greenwashing, that's why you have to be upfront about exactly what you are doing and not try to spin, you know, the information with language. So you do have to take that tiered information approach because not everyone wants to read, you know, the hundred page standards right off the bat, but it should be available to them so that they have access to it. Thank you. We're getting a few questions about the sort of definition of organic. I mean, to the consumer, um, Pam, does that even matter? Because from what I understand, organic's the most recognized label for consumers. So do they care how we would define the different organic standards? Because they are different in different countries. So do these questions matter in your view, Pam? Well, the made with organic grape standard in the United States is almost the same as the organic wine standard in the EU. And, but most organic grapes, I mean, I have a database of 1800 wines from US organic certified vines. And the vast majority of those are not even bottle labeled with the word organic on them because because we have internal problems at the TTB for people to even get their wine labeled uh, ingredients, organic grapes. Um, thank God Ridge actually um, went that route and I helped 
Paul Draper make that decision. Um, but a lot of producers just don't bother to label them ingredients organic grapes, which means you don't have to pay certification fees on the wine and you don't have to have a certified winery and you can make the wine any way that you would have, even if it wasn't organic grapes. Um, and too many people are confused about sulfites. Um, but, you know, I have heard it said from a former Wine Institute president, if the Wine Institute wanted to change the organic wine rules in the United States, it would happen overnight. Um, I think what we don't have is an organized group of organic producers because half of them are hybrid. Half of them are buying pesticide grapes. So from the, back to your question, though, um, we're, we don't have that many standards in terms of um, growing the grapes. They're quite similar. And that's really what consumers care about because that gets to the residue issues. And the glyphosate concerns about residues in wine are actually really misplaced. Most people are getting dietary influences from glyphosate. It's coming in wheat and grain-based products in, in huge numbers, um, which we, we don't really, we haven't addressed that. And the organic consumer has not addressed that issue. Thank you. Um, we've got a good question here from Caroline Ribeiro. Caroline, would you like to ask your question in person? Because it's quite complicated and I don't want to misrepresent it. Uh, do you want to join us on video, Caroline, and put your question to the panel? Are you there? Yeah, maybe just on audio, if that's okay with you. Sure, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I've just started a, a small retailing, a online retailing wine uh, in Argentina. Uh, and what I particularly see is that I agree with you that uh, sustainable, it's, 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 it's not um, something close to the consumer. Um, as you were saying, organic has, seems to have its own category. Uh, and right now, vegan is becoming stronger here, which vegan actually has nothing to do with, um, with vineyards. It's just a, a small part of the, of the winemaking process, right? But uh, it, it seems to, to catch the attention quickly and, and, and uh, many uh, wines are certificating vegan, for example. While sustainability has much more to, to put on the table and to, 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 to bring, um, and, uh, and it's not well understood. It's not well understood by whom? I wonder if we lost Caroline in mid-flow there. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, I have some, some kids around. Uh, it's not well understood, <laughs> not well understood by, um, by the consumers uh, as it's a, it's a broader category. Um, and and as, as, was, as I was saying, it's not only uh, related to dietary or healthy concerns, but to the corporation and the process. Uh, it's related to um wh how, what's the process of getting that wine uh, for you and not just what's inside the bottle so i think this is a a, a key change of perception because sustainability is, is sustainability is actually broader uh and um where i think consumers are only focusing on, on dietary things what's inside the bottle and not how that that bottle comes uh, to me, uh, how, how it becomes available uh, and all, everything that's involved and, and that is what sustainability actually addresses. I don't know if that's clear. Okay, thank you. Anyone care to comment on that? We ended up with more of a statement, but... Um, I, I, yeah, I, I would just jump in and say, you know, it's kind of a, a, a leap, but 
I would say the greatest benefit that the sustainability community is searching for right now is climate solutions. And I did just join the Mendocino water drought call today, which was, you know, I felt like crying. It's like, you know, Greta Thunberg, Thunberg, our house is on fire. And I don't think talking about um, consumer preference and trying to bottle climate solutions, wedge it into what is within the wheelhouse of the wine world today is going to save wineries from the climate crisis. So I think that one of the highest achievements that the sustainability community can commit to is helping to focus on climate solutions that are not just about bottle weight. I mean, people in the North Coast of California in the wine industry lost half their income last year. If there's another fire, it's very, very, very probable that there will be a much earlier fire. Water has been shut off in the Russian River Valley for wineries. Um, we're in a very desperate situation. And I think the sustainability movement has coalesced around some of these issues and can really make a difference. And that would be very impressive to retailers and consumers. So um, to me, that is the biggest plus um, that sustainability has going for it is to really focus on climate. And it might mean other things like peatlands restoration or, you know, this sort the concert ag, when you look at the to-do list for climate solutions that climate scientists are talking about, it's a very different list than what the wine industry is talking about. And I would like to see the wine industry adopt the most impactful, most effective, you know, within reach today, yesterday, uh, it, problems because right now I don't really have this sense that people are are doing that. You know, we're in a crisis, and the sustainability movement could really focus on so on actual impactful solutions that will save them. Thank you, Edward. You've been listening attentively. What, what would you say to that? Um, I just just I just see the conversation. You know, two different. Um, you know, dichotomy here about, uh, you know, whether or not, you know, we should be marketing more, you know, organic or sustainable wines on, uh, on the shelf. And, and then the point of how's that going, is there a possibility of that bringing younger, you know, consumers, you know, back to wine? I think that, you know, that's where I'm traveling a bit, to, you know, cause I think that there, you know, there are probably retailers here on online and, um, you know, experience that the panel here is bringing here is, uh, you know, valuable to them. But, you know, it is, a, it is a, huge, a huge conversation for our sector, you know, if we can't get the young folks to, 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 to buy in uh, to this whole product, then, then, then where are we? And so we have to put ourselves in the mindset. I'm very fortunate. I have a 22-year-old daughter here, and we, um, it's, it's almost like the sober curious. I mean, these folks are just different. I mean, they're just, just a different way of looking at things. Um, and I think if we want to have wine be a part of their lifestyle choice, uh, we need to, we need to, you know, come up with with things that make it more attractive to to how they are and, and how they react as as, as people. I mean, uh, branding matters. Uh, labeling is is so huge uh, for them. Uh, they're you know pretty much feels like they have zero brand loyalty. Um, they're they're look, talking about the, the the last vacation they took. Uh, it's all about that experience. And the next conversation is the next next vacation I'm going to take, um, you know, they're, they're willing to show a product, whether it's a beverage or a wine that they found from Greece uh, and that, but they're immediately moving on to the next 
conversation, the next, uh, you know, product that they want to, you know, talk about the next country they want to talk about. They're just really living life to the fullest in the moment. Uh, and so maybe they're looking for that perfect label that's going to help take them to that place. Uh, and I think we need to be very aware of that. And when we're marketing to people, marketing to these young folks to keep them in, to keep them interested in wine, um, first of all, they're looking for authenticity. You know, that's what I think this whole conversation is wrapping around it. Authenticity or a real defined definition of what authenticity is. And they're information junkies. I think gone are the days or practically gone are the days of having a wine back label that just says imported by Jackson and then here's your government warning and that's it. You know, you've got to give them information. You've got to, you've got to market. You've got to, we call ours the cereal box. We, you know, we, we get obviously the varietals and the, uh, you know, and the location, but then you've you got to go down there and you got to tell them, you know, some tasting notes or some enjoy with some suggestions or whatever. You've got to have a killer, killer website um, and, and, or, or social media presence. Um, and these, these folks are, are willing to deeply dive into uh, a product, whether it be wine or whatever it is, uh, but they want it to be quick and accessible as possible. They can't be told what to do. Um, they're, you know, words like clean, like we mentioned, they just don't resonate. Uh, they want to be able to Google verify something immediately. Uh, and, that's, and again, that's why we believe in those third-party certifications because it is a believable bar that's set. Um, and better for you matters to them and better for the planet matters to them. Uh, so I think that uh, as they become older too, echo consciousness matters to them. Um, as, as, as millennials and as, uh, you know, the Generation Z starts to have children, echo consciousness becomes something more ingrained in who you are as you're passing along to your own children. Um, so I think that wine has to present itself or, or, or we have to present wine as a killer experience for them. I mean, that, really, that's how it has to be. It, um, and, and wine has all the ingredients to do it. It does. It, it, it has mystery. It has travel. It has discovery. It has learning. And it has, has a, a right and a wrong way to make it. Hey, there's a chance for an opinion here, you know, and here we go. But everybody's going to have an opportunity. And, and, and really, it has them an opportunity to give an opinion and, and kind of live the product, live the life to the fullest. I think that that's the things that we need to focus on. And we also need to focus on that, that quick satisfaction that they're needing for the purchase. You know, in 2020, everybody's buying everything online. And wine became a big part of that, um, you know. Situations like you know Uber purchasing Drizzly was brilliant because it just brings that Amazon mentality to get something right now delivered to my door immediately. Uh, so I think that not only do retailers need to have organic and biodynamic uh, as a presence and, and, and throughout their stores and, and throughout their their wine selections, but they also need to find ways to cater to that instant, either online or or a or a, a local delivery thing that, that just caters to what these young people are expecting out of all products, not just wine. Thanks very much. Um, in terms of where retailers are today, uh, Beth, what's your experience in talking to larger supermarkets about what they want? Do you have conversations with them and do they, what do they say about um, what they feel their consumers want and, and how well do they understand what you're doing? Well, I personally don't talk directly with as many retailers themselves. I do have some contacts with distributors, but from talking to my members and their sales teams, I know that the shift in education around sustainability has changed a lot. I've been with the SIP certified program since 2009. So earlier on, you know, somebody was going out to sell their wine in the marketplace. A lot of the times that retailer might not ask anything or they might ask like, are you doing anything to be sustainable? And they could just say yes. And then that would be the end of the conversation. <laughs> but now that shifted dramatically where the, 
the buyers are a lot more informed and they're asking much more specific questions. You know, so they might say, well, what are you doing to conserve water or how are you taking care of your workers, you know, that are helping produce these wines? So even just on that side, people are much more informed in asking questions about that. There was also an interesting research study that came out from Full Glass in partnership with the Wine Institute. They said that 76% um, of trade, so they asked people who are purchasing wines you know, for retail outlets, their demand for sustainable products will increase in the next few years. So they thought that more and more consumers were going to want sustainable products. And they had originally done this survey in 2016. And at that point it was 66%. So even just in a three-year time span, wine buyers thought that their consumer segment was going to demand sustainability even more. So they're seeing growth on their side too. Very interesting. Further comments on that, on that or further questions? We've got um, some very good comments in the chat. Not too many questions for the panel. I have a, I have a question that I'll, I'll toss out. You know, we're all very uh, high on uh, where things are headed with sustainability and the opportunity that's there and how we need to change it. Um, why do we think that spirits are outpacing the growth in wine right now? As of, uh, uh, as of March, depletion rates from uh, source where spirits were growing, that's on and off-premise both. Um, they were growing 5.3% on a trailing 12-month basis, while wine was a negative uh, a tenth of a percent. So, what is it? So, why why are spirits outpacing wine growth? And the reason the reason I bring it up is because <laughs> because they seem to be talking about sustainability. They seem to be talking about health. They seem to be. Um, uh, you know, do, doing things, mentioning that they're plant-based. I'm not saying that it's right, um, but I, but I do, I do look at what they're doing, and they are, they are growing. Sustainability does include growth. You can't, you can't be sustainable if we're, if we're dropping on top line for an extended period. And it's in the United States, it's the growth rate in wine consumption has been dropping since 2017. So why are spirits doing such? Uh, why are they growing for the consumer? Are they? Is it? Is it because of sustainability? Good question. Um, anybody have a view? Pam. Including White Claw as a spirit. Well, uh, White Claw is not a spirit, but it obviously is. It's the RTD segment that is uh, growing as well. It's growing for different reasons, I think. In, in including the greenwashing. <laughs> Maybe it's the fact that they're just a better voice and maybe a more unified voice. Um, you know, perhaps the wine, perhaps the wine industry isn't embracing this. There's, you know, um, I always feel that, uh, you know, organic wine may have some better qualities to it. And again, better, best, good. Those type of words are huge words. I mean, there's, there's, um, you know, wineries in, in the world that have spent literally millions of dollars to, to offset themselves as the best. So anytime someone comes into that, marketing range and wants to market themselves as something better. Obviously wine is in the, the, the heart of the beholder and the, and the consumer. Um, you know, perhaps there's, you know, whenever someone comes to that and, and maybe sustainable and organic tries to go there and that's not necessarily supported by 
uh, others, you know, uh, in, in their own wine industry, perhaps maybe alcohol is, 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 is working, you know, more unified to make a statement again, you know, without knowing that would be a guess. And, and also to Rob, I would say, you know, uh, is it, is it measuring against a smaller base? Uh, you know, sometimes growth is, uh, uh, you know, can be more significant. Those, those would just be a couple of the questions I might, you know, well, that's um, the data I gave you is off of, um, the total wholesale market in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's not it's not talking about direct consumer. The other the other thing I'd point to as well is look at the shift in uh, in restaurant wine lists. I'm going to go back uh, five, seven, ten years. You know, you'd get a wine. <laughs> here's the wine list. You know, now you get a now you get a piece of paper and it's got it's got craft cocktails. It's got um, it, it may even have uh, spike seltzer. It's not. It's not that dominant right now in um, in restaurants. But the, you know, the wine list has been even even pre pandemic. It's been it's been cut down to a very small uh, number, and consumers are drinking across categories. So right. it's, you know, sustainability is <laughs> is going to play a role in that somehow. Well, I think it's just mirroring the overall trend that we see as you're sort of referencing, you know, which Nielsen data is least as underlying that people have a lot of diversity in the beverage aisle and um, wine is not as as dominant because of that diversity. Um, and that's a generational shift. You know, cocktails are cool um, and you can't really make a mistake. You feel pretty confident when you're ordering a cocktail. Wine is just, you know, so complicated and intimidating for too, far too many people. Um, and that's that really needs to change. But, you know, wine spritzers are coming back and all those sort of like quasi wine drinks. That's a big new category. I haven't seen a lot of sustainable entries in that field. Yeah, what's what's interesting do, do is what's growing. Um, sorry, do we think that wine in cans might uh, might be a way forward there to kind of you know jazz up the image? Well, RTDs are growing. Um, if you look at still wine, still wine is growing below a tenth of a percent right now. But um, RTDs is a category that includes spikes. It, it, there's there's no real it's like sustainability. There's no really good definition. You know, does it include spike seltzers or not? And, uh, but, you know, if you do, R RTDs are growing significantly. Um, the wine category is about 15% of that right now. We haven't done a great job with it. Um, other areas that are growing, though, um, agave-based wine. Now, I, I didn't even know you could make wine out of agave, right? ferment, you know, agave. But, but that's playing off on the, on the margarita craze. It's a blurring of lines, um, you know, is obviously agave is plant-based is it organic is it you know why why are people headed in um in these directions and and where are we missing as marketers sangria is another one by the way and i i, I do think when you look at uh the emerging consumer when you talk about rtds uh that's the uh you know just the the speed at which life goes you know it's it's already done for you can come home you can crack one crack one open you can take it take it places um sangria um it, you know there's a sweet component to it um oh. i think i think in those we're talking about younger consumers that are that are hitting an entry level um hopefully oh. that converts to wine the pandemic. <laughs> the pandemic is what made rtd so exciting right 
you didn't you couldn't go to a bar but you could you know go down and get a craft cocktail from your latest artisanal you know rtd provider so we have i think it just accelerated the development of that sector in a way that is it's not gonna it's going to take off more and more it's it's not moving in the path we want it to the well, wine is moving toward this other place. Also, I mean, we're seeing the wine spritzer, the the wine based something else mixed in drink. You know, um, so there's just a lot of experimentation from big brands. You know, Gallo is having is launching some of those drinks, those wine based, sort of what we used to call wine coolers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, thank you, everyone. It's been a fascinating discussion. I think I'm going to draw it to a close here. Um, we have um, a short break now, and then we're going to have a final session with uh, Laura Katena and Fernando Bashema from Katena uh, Zapata and the Katena Institute of Wine, where we're going to talk about collaboration. So stick around for that. But please join me uh, in a virtual uh, round of applause for the panel for some fascinating insights. Thank you, Pam, Edward, Beth and Rob. Thank you. Thank you.